Film Review, Movies, Music, Culture, Politics, Society Podcast, Interviews, Movie Reviews, and more. Live Sundays at 5.30 p.m. on Facebook at Crazon Dion. Hey everybody, this is Lou Mel, the original bad girl of comedy. I'm here at the Link Promenade in beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada, and you're watching the Film Review. What's going on, people? Welcome to another great episode. Episode 84 of the Film Review. Movies, music, culture, politics, and society. And do we have a show for you today? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Do we have a show for you today? Listen. First of all, we're talking to the director, writer, producer, uh, actor in... Doubting Thomas. Yeah. He's going to be on with us. Yeah. Also, we're going to be talking to um, Dr. Monique Morris about a film called Push Out. Yeah. Right? And Push Out is about how the phenomenon of black girls yes. being pushed out of education yeah. through corporal punishment. Right? Well, no, corporal punishment was swatting through disciplinary action which says that they are more criminal which winds them up in the juvenile system so we're going to talk about more about that in one second right so uh, let me bring the phones up and let me see who we have on the line good evening who do we have on the line hey this is Will hey how you doing Will Ladies and gentlemen, we... I'm really good. Thanks for having me on. Thank, thanks for being with us. Yeah. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, we have the writer, yeah. director, yeah. and actor of Doubting Thomas, yeah. Will McFadden. And he told you that he's feeling good. So let's run down the film a little bit. Okay, so Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas, winner of the Audience Award at Dancing with uh, Dances with Film uh, Festivals, Best Screenplay and Best Actor at Golden Door International Film Festival, Best First Feature at Tall Grass Film Festival. Uh, what is it about, though? Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas. It has to do with a family is expecting a bundle of joy their first child to make three, to make the family three. But when the baby comes out, okay. manifest in the phenotype of uh, black, mm -hmm. that's when racism rears its ugly head. How am I doing so far, Will? I'm enjoying it. You okay, in description of, of the film. Okay, so let's run through the cast real quick. The cast... Uh, again, the lead role played by Will McFadden, Tom. He also wrote it, directed it, and acted as the lead actor again. Uh, Sarah Butler as Jen. Jamie Hector as Ron. Uh, Melora Waters as Kate. Walters? Walters? Okay, okay. That's why I broke down the wrong thing. Uh, Walters as Kate. And uh, James Morrison is Bill. Okay. 
okay? So let's run this down real quick so we can get to the schema of what the storyline is about. Pretty much Sarah uh, Butler's character, Jen, is married to Tom, played by Will McFadden. And uh, Sarah's mom, well, Jen's mom is Kate, and her father is Bill, right? And when this unexpected situation happens, uh, all heck breaks loose, and that's when the tension the tension comes out. So the first question that I have for you, Will, is let, let's go back to some of your background. How did you start in film? Well, I started as an actor, and I've been an actor, you know, since college. Mm-hmm. Uh, and luckily, I had people around me that challenged me to. Uh, have something to say, have ideas, and participate in the way that you don't always get to do as an actor. As an actor, you're waiting for people to pick you a lot of time. Um, a lot of rebellious control. And um, I, I had been looking for ways to kind of develop my, some, some of my own material. And um, my best friend, Joe Campbell, now lives in Australia, he, um, he told me a story that was the theme of Dowdy Thomas, and we created that story together. Um, he actually co-wrote the um, story of the screenplay is based on with me. So he is very much a partner um, as far as creating this piece. Okay, so he brought this to you, because I, I had that down that he was co-writer. Uh, so he brought this to you, and when you started to research, how common a uh, occurrence is this? Much more common than you would think, certainly than we thought. Um, and, you know, there's there's lots of um, different versions of it. You know, you have one um, sibling in the family that's lighter skinned than another, or, you know, you have some trait that seems to skip generation and then the one that became very well known was um, there was a set of twins and one of them was uh, black and one of them was white and you know that became um, you know something passed around on the internet a lot but uh, it's much more common than, than you would think it's still um, for optically what happens in the film to actually happen is incredibly rare. I mean, it's like genetic miracle level rare, but it certainly can happen. So uh, that was kind of a jumping off point um, for the story. But but Joe's story, if I could just say real quickly, is actually about his father, who was a black man who was killed in police custody by some white cops. Okay. And that became the seed of a possible receptive gene that that man could have passed on before he was killed um, as a possible explanation for their new baby without trying to give too much away. Okay, okay. You know, I heard that in the film and I would think that, you know, just by science, just science-wise, that it would be more like a a dormant gene that then activated somehow. Mm -hmm. Not not a recessive because uh, brown hair, brown eyes, uh, brown skin, is dominant by biology. Uh, recessive is light skin, fair skin, blue eyes, blonde hair, 
that's recessive. So it wouldn't be, that would be considered a recessive gene. So it would be more like it was a dormant gene that then uh, came out and represented its dominance. Would you agree with that? I love that you just corrected me on that because I learned a little something right there. I think I, I, I maybe come across that before, but I think that's absolutely right. And I stand correct. I think that's a much better way to describe Mm-hmm. Because it was in the film, and um, you know, I, the film is for the people because we're getting ready to review it after we finish talking to you. But the film is such oh, okay. a so great. Around for that, I hope you're, you're going to be nice. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the film we're going to tell on Matthew. Tell you here, right here, that the film yeah. is such a great film. I'm going to give a little spoiler on our review. Yeah. It's such a great film. It yeah. keeps you on the edge. The tension of once oh. the once the Tom character is confronted with this and the deep seated yeah. um, restrained yeah. racism that he had that he thought that he was a liberal thinking person, a progressive thinking person and then his whole his French well we're not going to go into that we're going that till the review but we're not going to give any spoilers because we want people yeah. to see this film right now the mm-hmm. the uh, the Jen character alludes to Tom not actually knowing his uh, actual uh, side of his mother's his mother's side right 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 and so I was yeah. noticing I was noticing because you know. I was noticing that he really didn't want to confront that side and for something to be so such a miracle and so rare to happen did within the story did you kind of uh, think of figuring out that maybe he had a black ancestor on his side yeah, I think it's natural, like you said, for uh, both of these new parents who are dumbfounded by um, what their their new child looks like to to look back into their own history. I think for for my character, you know, his as far as he knows, they were both um, white, both his parents, and you can't imagine his his own mom ever being with a black man and you know he alludes to that he doesn't even feel interested much at all but uh, it's something that for him he's able to dismiss as a possibility and you know it's funny because you said that the dormant is not recessive but I think recessive is used when they're trying to figure out what it could be and they're just as ignorant on the science behind it um, as as I was in our conversation right now, mm-hmm. they get back to it uh, and nomenclature because they're they're looking for any possible explanation other than she cheated on her husband with the black man. Well, see, the reason why I'm really interested in this film is is because I come from mixed lineage. My mother, my mother's mother, mm-hmm. was uh, black, and my grandfather was white and they moved up to Ohio to get married to begin a family and all of the uh wow. the daughters the daughter and they they were married then they began the family three the three daughters looked like um Gina Lola Brigida uh Lena Horn and uh 
No, in any other the other fair skinned people, this one of my uncles looked like mm-hmm. um, uh, Humphrey Bogart, mm-hmm. right? And then another. Oh wow! And, and so so they were all fair, but then they married. Wow! They married what they grew up loving, which was their mother. So they married dark skinned uh, black people, and thus here I am. So this movie is very interesting wow. because people from mixed lineage often talk about people who pass. And this is what this story is about, where people are passing. So when I was asking you about his lineage, maybe his mother or father were passing, thus mm-hmm. the, the gene lay dormant, thus her gene was dormant because she was the first one who was able to pass within her mother's line. You know, being that her mother was with a black man, and then that then brought about the brown-skinned child with curly hair, because both um, both genes that were dormant then came to their dominance and manifest in that child. So that's why I was asking, did you? Because uh, that was alluded to in the film. Did you think to go down that road, or you uh, didn't didn't have enough time in the storyline, and you just kept it on the side of the woman. No, we had enough time. It took so many years to make this movie. We, we looked at it from so different angles. It wasn't the time. It was honestly just the fact that we had um, decided as one of the possibilities being from her side of the family. Mm-hmm. So it, it actually, now that I hear you talk about it, it makes a lot more sense that it could be a combination of both. Could be, you know, that led to um, a human being skin tone. Could be, um, you know, both both sides mm-hmm. could possibly have that for mm-hmm. sure. Because you know that most people who come from mixed lineage, I don't know if people actually know this or not. So we're putting this out because this is a great discussion, and your film is a great discussion in uh, race and race relations and biology. I would say. Uh, most people who are from mixed lineage can look at children or look at a person and say either someone in their line passed or they're passing. Like you take Michael Jackson's children. A lot of people believe that Michael Jackson's children aren't his. But when you look at them and you look at their eye sockets and their mm-hmm. cheekbones and their bone structure on their face, you say, that's Michael Jackson's. That's Michael Jackson's children, even though they manifest, uh, you know, as uh, they manifest as white. You might as well say because white is a is a made up construct, sure. you know, right? So this this film right here. Well, uh, and to that point, if I can share with you, because that that makes me um, want to share this with you even more, because we had one screening where, you know, there's a. There's a scene where Sarah, uh, her character, Jen, has been told about this possibility without getting too much away. Mm-hmm. And she's looking in the mirror. And she's just looking in the mirror for an extended period of time. And this young lady stood up and she said, you know, after she was looking in the mirror for a minute, I kind of started to see it. Yeah. As in, she could see how she would be black. Right. And, you know, as far as I know, Sarah did not have that in her ethnic background um but it was also fascinating because the young woman standing up saying this was a young she was a young black woman and you know all of us 
were reacting to that in a really good-natured way. If it had been an older white male, let's say, and he said, I started to see how she could be black in features, you know, that might go a totally different way. Um, because, you know, you're going to be looked at like, you know, what is that mean? What are you saying about, you know, facial structure? And that, that can be dicey to get into, but... Um, the power of suggestion is real, and it, it does become obvious very quickly that racism is a social construct. And, um, you know, I've learned so much from, from screening the film, even like just talking to you right now, you're schooling me um, further about how, how common this is. Um, and, and that's been one of the best parts about screening the movie, how much I learned. Mm-hmm. So, it, it, uh, back to the town character for uh, for a second. Um, the loss that he experiences in his uh, uh, in his mind does he justify it to r- rationalize his racism, or as we move forward, because we're kind of left on a cliffhanger there, where he's looking across the street. And I'm gonna right. give it away. Um, right. Right. Does he does he justify it and move on? Is there going to be a part two where yeah. he comes to a realization that I'm not the man that I thought I was, and the biases that I actually have has have him uh, him strung me to the point where I've lost more than I would gain. Mm. Well, I like how you put that, and I think. My answer would be that he's about to grow okay. through this loss that he's had and this experience that he's had. And, you know, people can watch this film and have very different ideas about how racist or if it was racist or, you know, his point of view. Mm-hmm. Uh, because other people will will really seek to defend that character, and it's fascinating to me to watch people bend over backwards to do that. Uh, and you know, without explaining it too much, I think for us in creating this story, um, the idea was that the racism um, that comes into play. It's really the, the racism that Jamie Hecker's character feels every day, just living while black and being profiled mm-hmm. and having to deal with this his whole life. And once he attacks something that my character has done, because it's everyday thing that he has to deal with, that becomes something that's possibly insurmountable in their relationship. And to us, that's the tragedy, because it's not even as much of a personal thing. And I think when Jamie and I talk about it, it's actually more the fact that you're supposed to be my best friend and you thought that I could sleep with your wife. Oh, you're giving too much away, bro. And you're giving too much away. We're, yeah, we're, we're, tra- we're trying to hold yeah, back. Just jump in, jump in. <laughs> yeah, you're giving <laughs> a little... <laughs> you're giving no. a little... Go ahead, go ahead. No, but definitely, this is a great film, and you know it's a great film when it leaves you wanting more, because when it ended, we were like, no, you know, we want more. We, what what, what oh, is yeah. the rest of the story? Yeah. So it's well, well done. Well, 
Because it's a psychological, um, not a psychological thriller, but a psychological exploration of one person's mind yeah. and how it, how their mind somewhat, how could I say, degrade, degrades into another thought process mm-hmm. that is not necessarily the correct thought process. As you look back at us, people, you see the Doubting Thomas uh, cover the poster up, you know, uh, so you can make sure you can mm-hmm. look at it. It's available on uh, YouTube. Uh, you can uh, pay the minimal fee and actually watch this. Uh, can I say that it's a uh, psychological uh, masterpiece where it's actually delving into the mind, right? And what I really liked mm-hmm. about it was how you did the hook. The hook at the beginning of, uh, of of the hospital, and then you rewound back and told his experience leading into uh, going to the hospital to first meet his new child, right? And and so I, I thought that was yeah, beautiful. I thought that was beautifully done. I, I thought the editing was excellent. I thought that the uh, cinematography, the angles used. You know, were uh, very well done, and, and the minimalness of the music, yeah. like like there are certain scenes where you know they usually have music to push through, but you were able to right, right. put music at the beginning. It was a little in the middle, but then at the end, the music came up. But I noticed I was telling my wife as we were watching it, I said, "There's no music." moving through this and this has you mm-hmm. on the edge of your seat yeah. like moving forward you know uh, just... I love to hear you say that because you know that's that's what we were definitely trying to go for and, and when people tell me like they feel like they were a fly on the wall and that they're seeing stuff that they shouldn't be seeing like it's too private yeah. um, and that that's some of the uh, the best feedback for me that I can get. Uh, there, was, there was a gentleman in Brooklyn, we treated in bedside, mm-hmm. uh, and an older black gentleman who stood up and he said, maybe the, one of the coolest things yet about um, feedback-wise, he said he felt like he was watching the disease of racism, or what Tony Morrison referred to as the um, infectious disease of racism infect a population. And he had never been able to just kind of like sit back and watch that transpire. Um, and I just love the way you put that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's absolutely true. I mean, this this I don't know what you what what you and 
Joseph Campbell stumbled on writing this piece as two people who would be manifest and phenotype Caucasian stumbled across and brought uh, what you stumbled across and how you stumbled across it but it is a beautiful piece of work it is a film that everyone should see I think that it's something that can play in high schools um, maybe even middle, mm-hmm. maybe even middle schools, because the middle school, middle school, middle schoolers since uh, Instagram and Facebook and all the other places, Twitter and all that, they're more advanced and they yeah. see more things. And I think that this is something that mm-hmm. could really get a discussion going, yeah. um, you know, possibly in the right direction. So I commend you on that. I'm saying that. I I'm really glad you. To hear you say that. Yeah. Uh, right here, people, you see the picture of Will McFadden. We have him up here. And I, I don't forget that after this finishes, after the original play, it goes on uh, iHeartRadio, Spotify, yeah. Google Play, yeah. uh, Apple Podcasts, yeah. and more. And you'll be able to see it. And it blasts out all over. We're yeah. we're in uh, mm-hmm. we're in parts of Africa uh, being viewed right now. We came off of last week's show, and we are in Spain. Spain is this hot as the United States on the uh, map, on the uh, audience geographic map that we released. So we want to say oh, wow. to yeah. So we want to say to you that we're going to get this out there because it is well worth seeing. So what is the response to you? Because you know sometimes people can't separate a character from the actor. So what is the response? To you after the film is over when you screen it? Do people run up to you or do they stand up and say that you're finally getting yours? You're getting your comeuppance. What, what, what do they say? That's a great question. And you know what? It, it, it differs. It varies. Um, it varies on the audience. Uh, it even sometimes varies on what day you're seeing it on. Right? Somebody came to the screening recently and said, you know, this time I really hated you, man. Like, I just thought you were completely full of it. Um, so, you know, I think the thing that people relate to is the moment my character has where he says something and someone close to him decides upon him and his character. You know, he's revealed as, at least in someone else's eyes, as being racist mm-hmm. um, or less than perfect in that respect, in a way that uh, you know people want to have ways to have these kind of conversations, but the price of admission is risking, and not even so much risking. I think pretty much guaranteeing that you're going to have an ignorant moment where you get a chance to learn and you expose your. Um, lack of perfect wokeness and you have room for improvement okay here's a question uh, about room for improvement um the Kate character and the Bill character mm-hmm. do you have married couples stand up or do you have uh, male or female stand up and address what Kate did as far as making her daughter pass by not telling her about her uh, uh, her black uh, father. 
I do, I definitely do. And I even had one woman recently who came to me the day after she saw the movie and she said, you know, I can't stop thinking about it because my daughter, she came out to me at day and she noticed when her daughter came out that she was having responses that she didn't think she had because she has gay friends and she's very open-minded and is an advocate. But the thoughts that she was having were really bothersome to herself. And, you know, I told her that Joel and I learned in writing the script and just using our imagination. A lot of that is love for your child because you are confronted with the fact that it might be a little bit harder for them in the world. So you might be reluctant to learn that about your child. Um, or if you have an opportunity for them not to, um, in, in that case, be gay, in the, in this case of this story, um, to, to pass as white in America, you can hardly blame a mother for wanting that for a child. Um, and Okay, this is good. This is good discussion here. Here it is. We're going to have this discussion now that you brought in uh, homosexuality, the person coming out gay. Can homosexuality really be compared to being black in America? And here's how I preface this. Racism is the fear that one day a certain phenotype will no longer see themselves on the planet because they found out through uh, experiments that the Germans did on the Tasmanians and uh, the experimentation that was happening during the slave during s slavery in America that when the white slave master traveled down to the slave quarters and had sex or raped the uh, black slave female that the baby came out looking more like the slave female or maybe like the husband of the slave female right and so they found out that that and that is pretty much why racism exists because when people start talking about let's love one another then love leads to sexual activity which leads to an annihilation of a race so then the race that can be annihilated through sex then turns around and then begins to annihilate the race that can do that to them out of a fear of what public enemy used to call a black planet and really it's of yeah. no cause from black people because black people are not trying to necessarily take over but have their rightful place in the society so can homosexuality understanding that definition of what's happening can that really be compared to being a black person globally around this earth when it has to do with uh, phenotype annihilation I'll just call it that one group fearing that they will no longer see themselves on the planet it's kind of like how people depending on whatever their religious belief is they have a fear of dying that they will no longer be on the on the planet anymore and that's kind of like what I equate to those who practice racism and white supremacy that they have a fear of no longer seeing themselves on the planet. So can homosexuality really be compared to something that is more of a mental illness on the part of the people who feel they will no longer be here? 
because I don't I don't remember that a homo a person being a homosexual can cause a whole group of people to uh, uh, no longer be on the planet. Well, I think it's a great question. I think it's not an easy answer. Okay. And I think there are certain things that absolutely can be compared, but there's levels to it. Okay. And, you know, if you talk about pressure and being disenfranchised and being persecuted, you know, uh, I think both people have experienced that. But uh, there's certain things that are specific to the black experience um, that you can't compare. Um, but... You know, when you hear you talk about it, it makes me think of um, what we had addressed just a little bit earlier, which is the, you know, the race is uh, something that we've constructed and that we need to basically ask the racism out of the human race. Um, and that is a different way of looking at, you know, um, this fear that... Um, will be taken over by one race because we started with one race and the human race anyway and, uh, and we're doing this to ourselves and I'm glad to hear you say that Wanda why? because this is where this film to me is a jump off point right there are certain there are certain tropes in it that we're going to talk about in the review but I believe that it is a jump off point that can spark the conversation and I really believe that people need to see this film that it needs to uh, go further and drive further so the next question is what are your plans to drive this film to uh, be seen uh, not only you can tell us where they can see it besides YouTube um, where they can see it the platforms and driving it into getting picked up and distributed to go through the national theater chains. What what's, what what are your plans for that? Well, I'm really glad you asked. I'm trying to figure that out. And, you know, I think for me, what's been great to see here, by far the greatest thing about the movie, um, in all its imperfections, one thing it definitely does do is spark competition and provide a jumping off point for all kinds of moments already and relations and discussions that have been transformative for me um, and unforgettable. So, you know, I have, um, I've definitely been exploring how to do that on a larger scale and pairing with organizations that can sponsor us. You know, we're very early in our distribution phase and the idea of, you know, watching this movie as entertainment, like, while you're cooking a meal or on your phone or whatever, it makes me a little bit sad because I've seen the power it can have when it's experienced in a group and then used as, like you said, perfectly jumping off point. You know, and that's the real home film. So I've had people approach me that are interested in taking it around and using it as a teaching tool in academia um, and as a tool really in large part for white people who think they're woke already, <laughs> who consider themselves non-racist. Mm-hmm. Like myself, you know? Um, I had a woman um, in Brooklyn who said, Let's, I want to take this around the country and screen it to white people and use it to teach about how to be anti-racist. And the first thing I want to teach them is that they have 
implicit bias. And the first step is just owning that, you know? Like, that's part of being a human being. And if you grew up in a racist society, that's going to be part of your experience. Um, and like you said, you're exposed to tropes all the time that ingrain this in, in you subconsciously as well. So, um, I wish I had a clearer answer on that, but just you asking the question makes me um, more motivated to, to pair with, with an organization or, or two or three or what have you that can really help us uh, get it out there mm-hmm. in that capacity. Okay, so uh, so besides you know, my best friend and I, we created it Occidental College. Uh, my my roommate from Occidental, he he's a community builder. He he works in restorative justice, and he facilitated the discussion afterwards. And, you know, he happens to be a black man, and I, you know, I want to be working. You know, it's it's not just this, this kind of thing where, um, you know, we're trying to teach people. I'm trying to learn myself. It, it's about it's about creating questions, not not answers. Mm-hmm. Okay. So besides the national theater chains, where can they watch your film now? Great question. So if you go to DellyThomasMovie.com, there's a list of everywhere you can click on the actual direct link. You can see it on Amazon right now. On Amazon, you can see it on iTunes. You can see it on Google Play and Voodoo, uh, YouTube Red, lots of different platforms you can um, rent or buy. And I think we have another like 60 days with this window, and then it'll probably be going to other um, platforms as well, like subscription services. Um, but you can see it right now if you go to DaddyComicMovie.com, and you can find us on. Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, um, Daddy Thomas Movie. And the main thing is to uh, use it as a conversation directly off point, like you said. Mm-hmm. And how can they get for aspiring actors? Because I always uh, look out for the aspiring actors. How can they get in contact with mm-hmm. you, or how can people get in contact with you to learn about the next? Uh, feature-length films that you're um, casting or short films that you're casting, how can they get in contact with you? Oh, that's great. Um, well, let's see. I'm on I'm on Instagram, Mr. Will McFadden, M-R period, Will McFadden. Um, you can message me there, I suppose. And there's also a, um, an email on the website, doubtingthomasmovie.com that you can, um, you can send email there. Okay. All right. Well, you know, it has. And I'm on Twitter too, is uh, Mr. Will mm-hmm. And also on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. I got on, I got back on Facebook. So I'm trying to promote this group to you. But yeah, I'm on there too. But I'm, I'm trying to get better with the social media. You know, it, it's difficult to have these um, very, you know, thanks to you, very intelligent conversations. Um, like you're creating space for one right now for us to have um, in a social media um, environment because a lot of people see the trailer and make a lot of assumptions about the film and you know racism starts to come out real quickly 
online. And we had a lot of backlash with the movie. So, you know, that's been um, disappointing, but not necessarily surprising for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does motivate me more. All right. Well, this has been a pleasure yes, to you. talk with you. Uh, thank you for writing the film, yes. for acting in the film, yes. and uh, directing the film, yes. and bringing a conversation thank, thank piece. You. Thank you for having me. Oh, yeah. And bringing a conversation piece that will uh, move dialogue and start to make people maybe take the swab in their mouth and find out exactly what's happening and in this uh, false and fake construct of race because people are in fear of what is called a so-called quote-unquote black planet. So we'd like to thank you for calling. Again, people, you've been listening to and watching the interview with Will McFadden. He is the director, writer, and uh, acting in Doubting Thomas, and you should see this film, and he's told you that. Just rewind back after we're totally done. You can watch it again on all the various points. And so, again, Will, thank you for calling in. This has been a beautiful conversation, and uh, we look to speak with you again. Well, you absolutely made my day. It's really a pleasure to talk to you both, and uh, I, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good Have a good evening. Okay, you too. Thank you. Thank you. All right, people. So now, it's time to review the film. Yes. Doubting Thomas, right? Yes. All right, so Doubting Thomas, the cast. We just finished uh, interviewing Will McFadden. He plays Tom. Sarah Butler plays uh, Jen. Uh, Jamie Hector as Ron. Uh Mel Ro- uh, Mel Laura Walters. Yeah, yeah, Walters as Kate yes. and James Morrison as Bill, yes. right? Now, let's run this down so you can understand the character setup. Tom and Jen are married and they're expecting their first child. Right. Ron is the black friend, right. but not in most in films when you have a black friend they really don't have agency when they're a black friend of a caucasian character they really don't have agency this character is written to have agency which is a plus right um the kate and bill are married kate and bill appear to be the parents of jen right who again is married to tom right so there's a string of situations that happen. Yeah. You, you see this in the trailer, so this is not really a sport. Right. So there's a um, string of happenings that actually take place yeah. beforehand, yeah. right? And what happens is the film opens up and you see Tom concerned right. finally getting to the hospital. Right. The story rewinds back yeah. and it tells you what leads up to and introduces you to the main the main characters in the piece, right? Which are um, Ron, which are Tom, Jen, and Ron, right? And Ron is a doting father himself. He has a son, and he plays catch with his son, but he's like the best friend of Tom, right? But he is a black 
friend that has agency in the picture, right? So something happens, and we're going to get into that when we get into the tropes of the film. Something happens, and Tom is delayed to getting to the hospital. But when he gets to the hospital, everyone who was ready to um, um, welcome the bundle of joy yes. into the world have left the hospital. And the only person that is there okay. is Ron. Okay. And then the baby comes in and the mother holds the baby yeah. and, said, and then Tom says, it must be some kind of mistake. And that's where the picture takes off people and it, and it starts to run yeah. and you see um, Tom begin to grapple yeah. with his mental. Yeah. And then Kate and Bill are introduced as a meeting is held over her house and a uh, uncomfortable truth yep. is uh, exposed yep. and the story really turns yeah. and then it really gets into where it's going but it keeps you on the edge the whole time yeah. and it starts to with the secondary characters the right. office workers the Snoopy underling yeah. of Tom <clears throat> working in the office yeah. Confronting Tom with something that could happen, and then it twists Tom's mind. So Tom's mind is already twisted, right? And then it twists some more. You see this in the trailer. Tom says at one point, "Right, I don't want a black kid, right? You don't know who he's talking to, and but you will see. You have to see this film because it uh, brings forth some uncomfortable truths, right? Now." Unfortunately, just like last week when we were speaking to um, uh, Wayne Powers, there are some racist tropes in the film. No matter how well-meaning the film is, there are bigoted tropes in there, right? Uh, The recessive gene, we discussed that. The recessive gene is actually a dominant gene that is dormant, that for some reason came to its full dominance and then produced the child, right? So that that's one thing, and that's spoken through a secondary character, right? Yeah. And, you know, but those particular characters, when they're talking, mm-hmm. they seem, well, you have to watch the film, but they seem racist, right? Yeah. Right? Um, they're in the suburbs, okay. but there's a robbery that happens, okay. and you will say, well, statistically people rob where they are right so if you're in a predominantly Caucasian suburb you're not gonna have necessarily black people robbing that predominantly black suburb right predominantly white suburb right so people rob their own people so Asian people rob their people black people rob their people it's only uh, rare occasions where something like that will happen and then it's blown out of proportion because again people are in fear of a black planet so they want to say that these people are not worth anything so we should kill them off right so that, that, that that's in there and so that's um, and then here's another one here's another one that would never happen remember we talked about this trope last week with okay. Wayne Powers which is the 
Caucasian person is going about doing their joy right. and somehow a black character comes in to destroy their joy right. when in actuality like an irritant like, like an irritant. irritant but in actuality it's often the reverse because of the type of society we're in but it's projected onto yeah. uh, the actions of Caucasians are projected onto a black person and saying that is no way ever that, that, that I have seen where a I've seen a lot of white cops hold up and and, and keep and make black people have to sit down for a minute right. while they go but I've never seen the reverse right, right? If, it, if we see it they're reprimanded right. instantly so it's a impossibility so that's a trope that's in there that's often in movies that are written right. by you know, Caucasian directors, which is that somehow the black person is there and somehow takes away that person's movement or their joy, and that's farthest from the truth, right? When we can look through history and see that most times it's the reverse, right? So they made it the converse when it's actually in reverse, that's how it is in actuality. Right, no reverse, but in actuality, and then they make it the converse in the film, which is not necessarily right. So, those are three bigoted tropes that that is that are in the film. But saying that, because of what the film is trying to say, and what they're trying to put across in the film, and get the discussion going. And where this discussion can lead to, yeah. it's uh, we we can't but give it high marks. Yeah. Uh, cinematography, ten. Yeah. The edit, yeah. uh, showing him arrive late, then right. rewinding back and telling the story right. to the point, right. and then moving forward. Yeah. That's a ten, yeah. right? The acting, the 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 arc. Yes. Of the characters, I want to make sure I get this all in because I have all this written down, right? Mm-hmm. The arc, the arcing of the characters, yeah. the the relationship between Ron and Tom, right, and how it is on one level, then it totally arcs into a different level. Yeah, because they were like brothers, like brothers, yeah, right, right. And I mean, it's just it's, right. it's just a great film. Uh, the characters are well mm-hmm. done. The suspense, the the suspicion mm-hmm. that brings about the tension yeah. in the film yeah. and the loss is well tempered. It, yeah. it has a it's at the right temperature yes. in the film to put it across, right. and it's the racism in the character Tom is so subtle, right and. The way that they wrote this right. to what black people have been saying for so many years. Right. It's just like the case that they have coming in front of the uh, Supreme Court. Byron Allen uh, sued Comcast and he won in the appellate court of Ninth Circuit. Okay. Now they're moving it to the uh, Comcast took it to the Supreme Court. Supreme right. Court didn't hear what Byron Allen uh, about the Byron Allen part because they knew that was correct. Right. They wanted to look at what Byron Allen used, the 1866 Civil Rights Act, Section uh, 1981, mm-hmm. that uh, deals with um, 
fair contracting, right. uh, land ownership, right. just being uh, equal to a white citizen as a black citizen in the United States of America. And they're right. looking at this and right. on November 13th, and if they come back with a ruling that guts it, it takes black people back to 1865. Okay. And so it's what we've always talked about, the subtleness right. of racism and what it is is when people study his story of America in America, you find that all they have to do is hold us back a hundred years and then we're on the hamster wheel again trying yeah. to catch up. So this is what this film shows that once he gets this suspicion, yeah. it's what how he handles his friend then and that's equal to what they're doing with the 1866 Civil Rights Act, right? And trying to gut it, right? So, I mean, it's very subtle and it's well put across. And so for that reason, we here at the Film Review... You definitely give it a 10. We give it a 10. Because like Will said, it's as if you're a fly on the wall. Mm -hmm. It's like it's actually going on. The acting is well done. It's superb. Mm -hmm. You know, because you're watching it and you're all in. It's not as if you're watching a film. You're actually watching the lives of real people and what they're experiencing is so well done. And I love seeing um, Jamie Hector in a role yeah. that wasn't a pimp. Right. Wasn't a drug dealer. Was not, yeah. There's nothing wrong with those roles. Right. But having script writers yeah. who are not from the black experience right. able to write right. the black experience right. is refreshing. Yes. Right? Yes. To see and to show this person on a whole nother level yeah. because there's all different levels. Yeah. Right? And so and that's in life in general. Yeah. Right? There's all different levels and all different types of people. So yeah. we, we enjoyed this film. Yeah. Right? And well so it's, yeah, it, it's a 10. Yeah. So now people let's uh, move right here. Since we talked about the 1866 mm -hmm. uh, Civil Rights uh, case. Did you know November 13th, people, they are, the Supreme Court, SCOTUS, is hearing the 1866 uh, Civil Rights Act. Again, Brian, uh, Byron Allen yeah. uh, sued Comcast because they were basically, uh, they have majority black people buying the product, okay. which is the cable, and they're watching the cable, but they have little to no uh, black owned stations being uh, sent through the cable lines to into people's homes and that's what he sued for because they basically told him flat out no even though you're so successful no no we don't need you we don't need you so what he describes it as as is the difference between targeted black mm -hmm. and black owned media so targeted black media so that means that you get the pimps and the O's and the, and the uh, drug dealers, but you don't get the other side. Right. Right? Which there's always a balance. Right. right? And so that's why Byron Allen went in and uh, sued and he won and he went to the appellate court, Ninth Circuit, and won. And so Comcast took it to 
uh, the Supreme Court. Supreme Court said, oh, the Byron Allen stuff is right, but we're going to use what Byron Allen did. We're going to look at the 1866 Civil Rights Act, Section mm -hmm. 1981, that Byron Allen utilized mm -hmm. to win in the Ninth Circuit. Mm -hmm. And we're going to uh, look at it and say that it has to be 100% beyond a reasonable doubt that the people were racist against you and that's something that is impossible to to prove because the people can say I was racist against you 99% but the 1% the reason why I didn't choose you is I didn't like your shoes you wore tennis shoes instead of dress shoes to the meeting so I didn't like that and 99% of the rest of it is you're black and, and so but it's not 100% so, so it's something that's not able to be proven. So, Bobby Rush, Congressman Bobby Rush, came out with a letter where he's calling for the breakup of Comcast because it's too large, right? And we, a week before, came out with the bo boycott right. of Comcast. Right. We're saying it's easy to do, right? This is not an endorsement, but you can get a smart TV. With the Roku, with Roku on it, okay. and you can choose the channels that you yeah. want, and you can cut the cable. Yeah. Right. And this is an easy boycott before November thirteenth. The the uh, sets are very inexpensive these days. Yeah, right? you don't have access to HBO, Showtime, and all of stars, them. all of them, all of them. Apple TV, Apple TV. You can, you can download yeah. the link Netflix. and you choose the channels you want and, it, and it's cheaper. Right. Right. And the only thing you might keep is if you have internet with uh, Comcast right. and you will keep the internet part, right. but it will cut the bill down to, to more than half yeah. of the bill and cutting their revenue by half yes. causes them a problem. Yes. Thus, they will come to the table and they will drop this. And we're also calling not only for the boycott, but we're also calling for the CEO, COO, and CFO to right. be exed yeah. without severance package so that right. their money can go back into doing things and um, bringing stations on, black stations on, and not telling them that they have to sell advertisement to pay you to be on right. your cable, right. on your Comcast. They should be paying them to right. be on Comcast because of the amount of people who watch it who are black, yeah. African American, ADOS, right. uh, foundation, black, uh, foundational black Americans, Afric style beings. Right. Did we get that all out? Yes. Yes, we did. So that's what we're calling for, and it's easy to do. And you can see that on my Facebook page. You can also see that on my Instagram. You can see it on my Twitter. Yeah. Uh, you can uh, check out that Twitter is Crazy D DVD. Um, Crazy D Film Dude is the Instagram. Uh, Twitter, or I always said Twitter. Uh, Facebook is Crazon Dion, where you're watching us right now, right? And we have perfect streaming. Um, and right now, we're also simulcasting right now on YouTube. We have YouTube and Facebook. Uh, simulcasting at the same time and we're also on blog talk tv and afterwards after this original um broadcast we then transfer and go over to iHeartRadio, radio yes. apple podcast yep. 
right? Who else? Uh, Google Play, yeah. Spotify, yeah. Podcast Addict. Who was one? Oh, yeah, Podcast Addict. And what, what did you say? No, that's what I said. Oh, yeah, Podcast Addict. Yeah. And so you'll see us on all those platforms. And and we're also on um, SoundCloud. Yeah. And so we're just doing it up. So you, we're, we're global. And the yeah. last map that we put out there yeah. showing how we're lighting up, you can see it back there in the back up here, right? You can see it right there. This is the old map since then, Spain lit up as blue as America and uh, that's uh, what's that Alaska yeah America and Alaska it's just as blue dark blue I mean they're really listening because did you know that there are black Spaniards right all right people so we, we wanted to tell you that and that's very important to know um, very important to um, be involved in all right hello is this Dr. Uh, Monique Morris? This is. Can yeah. you hear me? Yes, I can hear you now. I don't. I don't know what was happening before. Okay. But this is live. This is live streaming, and anything is possible to happen. But we are happy to have you. <laughs> All right. So. Thank you. Thank you, yes. Dr. Monique Morris. Has a documentary called uh, "Push Out." The criminalization of black girls in schools, yes. right? It is a audience favorite award at the DTLA Film Festival. Now the DTLA Film Festival is for films that are from people of color who are not necessarily recognized in Hollywood, in California, in LA, where the mecca of filmmaking is created, often uh, people of color and their film peoples of people of color and their films are often ignored. And she is the winner of DT Film Festival Audience Favorite Award. How are you doing this evening, uh, Dr. Morris? I'm doing well, thank you. Okay. So now, Push Out is based on uh, two books by uh, Dr. Monique W. Morris, uh, Push Out and Sing a Rhythm, Dance of Blues, The Education for uh, Liberation of Black and Brown Girls. So the first question that I have for you, because I have your picture up so everyone can see you so they know who we're talking to. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, how did you discover that this was happening? How many years back did this phenomenon start to happen? And then when did you begin to develop the language to tackle this, turning it into the programs that we see today? Yeah, thank you. So I have been in the field of you know, juvenile justice research and education research for a very long time. Um, I think my first exposure to girls who were impacted by criminalization was as early as 1995 um, when I was in New York and would see that there were girls who were locked up in the juvenile detention facilities, but people weren't really talking about them. Um, I spent years going in and out of detention facilities talking to girls and boys about their experiences, but over and over as we started to develop a language and um, series of opportunities to respond to the conditions of boys and young men in our communities, 
we were not doing the same for the girls. Um, and for a while, that was driven by this perception that the girls were not impacted as heavily by this condition as the boys. And so we were making this comparison between the girls and the boys without looking at what was happening just among girls. And when we started to look at what was just happening among girls, we saw that black girls were experiencing harm at greater levels than their counterparts of other racial and ethnic groups with respect to school discipline. And it was facilitating their criminalization, their contact with the juvenile court and criminal legal system, their involvement and uh, with this system and their likelihood of being locked up um, in their lifetime. And so it was important for me uh, as a black woman, mother of two black girls, um, to begin to partner with others who saw this as a crisis and who didn't want to wait for our girls to you know, somehow be discovered or their, their conditions to somehow be discovered, but to be in community with them around elevating this as a critical issue in our communities, but also developing responses to this issue. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I noticed in the writing and uh, watching the film that the term young women was uh, used. And it, let me preface this by saying that uh, coming up as a young, as a boy, uh, people would tell you like when you're playing sports, oh, you're a young man, toughen up, toughen up. And people hear that in the larger society and they will use that against the black male. They'll say, okay, he's uh, 13, 14, but he's a man. Is using the term, instead of saying that they are girls, uh, saying that they are young women, they may be in uh, middle school or uh, uh, elementary school, and they say, you're young women, act like young women, can that be turned, is that being turned against uh, girls, black girls, by by us calling them young women? Um, I think it's part of a conditioning in our consciousness uh, around how we see our girls. I definitely refer to girls as girls and young women as young women. <laughs> and, and we encourage people to recognize the ways in which we are, you know, doing what is called adultifying yeah. our girls. Okay. Um, boys and girls in the black community experience adultification in a way that can lead to their dehumanization. And with girls, and what we discuss in the film and in the book, is how this adultification of black girls um, really lends to adults seeing them as more adult-like than they actually are, that they um, are believed to need less comforting, less protection, um, less nurturing, that where, you know, adultifying a black girl can lead to a harsh punishment because there's less patience with them or this belief that they should be in greater control of their behaviors than they actually are developmentally. And so, you know, calling someone a young lady or a young man um, can be harmless if there is not this additional uh, subconscious way in which we are reading the behaviors and then engaging in actions when they make mistakes that are harsher than we would, um, you know, someone who is not a black girl. What is really important in this is that black girls experience adultification when they were as young as five years old and it peaks when they're between the ages of 10 and 14. That's something that was discovered by the Georgetown study, uh, the Georgetown Center on Poverty and Inequality study that looked at adultification. And 
it matters to us because we're looking at girls who are in middle school, we're looking at little girls and seeing a five-year-old black girl and a five-year-old white girl and thinking that the black girl needs less protection than her, her white counterpart. And so that racial bias is what we call attention to that can lead to differential outcomes in school discipline decisions, but also just in terms of how we engage her as a potential scholar. So, you know, ultimately this is about calling attention to all the ways in which we are facilitating harm in the life of black girls and how we can come together as a community to uh, interrupt those cycles of violence. Okay. So how much of this, and I'm going to preface this question again, but how much of this has to do with uh, slavery? And this is what I mean by that. Let me set this up. Um, they didn't bring the weakest or the uh, most uh, non-intelligent. They brought the brightest and the strongest. They brought the people who knew how to plant, knew how to build. And how much of this is comes from slavery and the powers that be having the knowledge of how because they brought the strongest and the brightest of how the development happens and because they still have the history more than we would know they have documentation they have books of slave owners that we don't read that talk about the development of the female the development of the male how fast they develop and how much of what's happening is something that might be ingrained in the larger society's mind because they do have this reference point of the slave master leaving the history behind about how how they brought the strongest and the brightest over. Well, I have not looked specifically at that in this film. Um, I think what is probably more relevant to the discussion here is that early onset puberty is a function of, you know, certainly genetics, but also, you know, some of the social conditions that render black children vulnerable to forms of violence that can expedite one's development. Um, you know, there there is specifically this way in which, you know, black girls are developing or engaging, entering puberty is what I want to say, but they're entering puberty earlier and other groups. Um, if you look at Stacey Patton's work, um, she talks about that being attributed to histories of violence and experience of physical violence that can expedite puberty. There are other conditions of poverty and food and nutritional issues that impact how quickly one's body is developing and um, how that might um, occur, you know, throughout history. Um, I do think that the greater impact of the vestiges of slavery and the impact of discrimination really has to do with the absence of there being resources to respond to um, many of our children when they are experiencing crisis and the exposure to violence that can render them vulnerable to experiencing what we understand now to be childhood, uh, you know, childhood adverse childhood experiences or childhood trauma. And so, you know, the traumas that our young people experience um, in terms of the incidents that occur in their lives, but also the historical trauma of of the institution of slavery itself and the way that schools might facilitate that or participate in the tapestry of harm when they teach to the oppression or when they fail to acknowledge all the ways in which black people um, have been a part of the co-construction of this nation in, in all ways. Um, I think it's really important, something that we talk about in the film, the ways in which black teachers are underrepresented in the among the teaching 
workforce, um, the ways in which our young people are, are, are you know, desiring to have educators in their space and an education that includes them in the narratives that they learn, the you know, information and materials that they want to absorb and process as, as learners. All of this is, uh, you know, I think tied to the function of education. But it is also important to recognize that, you know, those who were enslaved, the Africans who were enslaved and their descendants have always understood that education is an important factor in the developing narrative of freedom. And that for one to actively be a part of the freedom movement, you had to have a certain baseline of information available to you. It was, you know, central to the development of the Black Panther Party platform. It was central to the uh, work of the Freedmen's Bureau and all the work that went into elevating education as a first step from the institution of slavery. And we can't lose sight of that, that to be a part of the, you know, to be to be intellectual, not, not necessarily to be a professional intellectual, but to be intellectual, to think, to embrace that was a, was part of the statement of engaging in one's humanity. And so what our schools do today should reinforce that, not undermine that. And every time we take young people out of their learning space because of a you know very subjective behavioral condition and undermine their capacity to learn, we're causing harm. So the invitation from the film is for us to look at the things that are contributing to black girls being disproportionately overrepresented along this discipline continuum and to examine what it is that we should be doing differently. Because mm-hmm. um. yeah, I was alarmed um, with Samaya, for example. I yeah. cannot believe, yeah. you know, the first thing that I would think is when you see a child, you know, during school hours, wondering around in a parking lot, Walmart, and, and no one, you know, they told her, well, you can't come in the store without a parent. You're too young. But then no one thought to pick up the phone and maybe call the police. We have a child here. We need to contact her parents. I mean, it's just... It at the Walmart. Parents, at the, at the, okay? the, yeah. yeah. I mean, or basically just... Are you okay? Are you safe? Because <laughs> clearly something is right. Clearly something is wrong. You know, it's not normal for a child mm-hmm. to just mm-hmm. wonder. You know, you know. And then, in the woman speaking of age, now at the time she was what seven, I believe. But the woman told the policeman that she, she looked, looked like she was like 12. she was twelve. So right. uh, it's just I was. So that's part of the adultification that we're talking about, right? Yeah, right. There was a seven-year-old girl who wandered off, but adults looked at her, perceived her to be older than she is than she was at the time, right? And then began to feel like she needed less protection, less nurturing, less comforting. They didn't ask if she was okay. They right. didn't, you know. Only one person finally said, "Do you need some water?" Right, <laughs> right. right. But it was. But there was not this urgency that um, should have accompanied, uh, you know, seeing a girl, a young girl, out walking over freeways alone in the cold, um, you know, during a school day. So it's this, um, you know, sort of persistent narrative about what our girls need and how we should be engaging with them. But also when our young people are having a moment of crisis, to respond to the crisis and not to see them as 
young people with just a bunch of bad attitudes yeah. or to see girls and start labeling them in ways that can interrupt their development, but to recognize that when young people are experiencing trauma, they need a loving response, right. not a harsh disciplinary action. Right. And that is, you know, really a, a shift in how we think about, um, you know, what our young people need. But it's also consistent with the best practice. So that's, you know, the film itself is based on two books. And the second book, Singer Rhythms, Dance of Blues, um, really outlines how we begin to shift that narrative so that it's not just about, you know, you know, uh, coming down with the, the harshest punishment possible as the important response to young people who act out, but really thinking about what is it that is the trauma and disruption in this child's life and how can we be a part of the tapestry of healing? Um, I say early on in the film that I want schools to be locations for healing so that they can be locations for learning. And in order for us to really do that, we have to be aware of all the ways in which we are facilitating harm and pain um, and to reconcile that with you know, a new set of actions. Mm-hmm. I have one more question before we get to what the National Black Women's Justice Institute is. But I want to stay on this line of questioning right here. Um, I noticed in the film that they say that the young ladies will have a voice and that they're strong. And let me preface this again. Uh, uh, Last week on uh, Facebook and Instagram news, there was a video that was shot from a, a surveillance camera in a middle school and the black police officer enters the frame and he pushes or or shoves the uh, young white female into the locker or maybe punches her and she falls out frail and uh, weak. Shouldn't we train our girls because the resistance is there because we've been taught to resist oppression and saying that uh, the person should be strong or they should have a voice. When a person has a voice, they usually tell you to shut up. I remember one time we were at the movie theater to see a movie. It was a, uh, I think it was Friday. It was um, Ice Cube's movie. But for some reason, the uh, cinema that we went to turned the movie down real low. And everyone came out and I was talking and I talked to this black police officer. He was older and he had two deputies beside him. And I was talking to him and he said, shut up or I will will arrest you for disorderly conduct. And all I could do was think twice at once and shut up and then go and write a letter of grievance to submit to the station because I realized I didn't have a win. When you see things like that black officer now is relieved of duty or on desk duty or relieved of duty and they're talking about prosecuting him, how much is it of it is that we need or have to teach our young girls to basically play possum such as the uh, young white female who was considered frail and weak as she fell down and was like comatose almost? How much of it is we should teach our girls not to resist? The real issue is we need police out of school. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, but, but, know, I think we, we, we have to, so the issue is that police violence is a form of violence. Mm-hmm. And that to introduce agents of surveillance into schools when they have um, they are not equipped with the tools that, you know, mostly the girls need to respond to their conditions, 
period, um, it doesn't make sense. And so, you know, I have to start with that because to me that is a fundamental issue is what we are trying to do when we introduce law enforcement into schools as a persistent uh, and consistent presence in that space as opposed to the things that we know and the strategies that we know to be more effective to um, hold young people accountable for behaviors that might be disruptive in a school environment. So I have to start there. But I don't think that we should teach our girls to um, be um, somehow um, less resistant to oppression. I think that that is countercultural. Um, that many of the the issue, you know, that I that I have observed in my work is that for many uh, black girls, the tools that have facilitated their survival from the violence they experience in their communities and sometimes, unfortunately, in their homes. Um, as well as the violence that they experience at the hands of the state um, are, in, in many cases, you know, the same thing in their mind. It can be equally disruptive. And so, you know, the, the, the strategy for resistance, the ways in which black women have facilitated strength, I don't think to play um, physically, you know, I don't think that it's a sign of weakness, certainly, to experience pain. I also feel like if you... Um, are fighting oppression, you can use all the tools that you have to do that. But I will not say that, you know, I think that police in any way should exercise any form of violence, that they just don't belong in schools. And when they engage in behaviors like that officer, then they should be taken and, and held accountable for that. That, that is um, unconscionable to me that we treat young people this way and that, that law enforcement engages in the use of force the way that they do, um, especially with our young people. So, um, so you know, that's how I'll respond to that question. Because, okay. I, I, you know, black girls will not only be in trouble with law enforcement for how strong they are. I'm a strong, I was a strong girl. I'm a strong woman. Um, my girls are strong. The girls I see and work with are strong. <laughs> and I think that that has been a form of their, a necessary function of their survival. Um, but physical strength and mental, emotional, and social, socio-emotional strength um, are also important here. Mental health uh, as, a, as a tool of strength is also important. And so there are so many ways in which to interpret one's strength that it's important to invest in all of it because that is um, how our society and our cultures have advanced um, in the face of oppression. And I think that it should be uplifted, not undermined. Okay. So what is the National Black Women's Justice Institute? Uh, the National Black Women's Justice Institute is an organization that I founded that works to uh, conduct research training and technical assistance to um, really try to uh, advance the ways in which we can combat criminalization of black women, girls, and their families. So. We do a lot of work to uh, elevate the importance of combating sexual violence in black communities, which is a critical uh, first point of entry for many black women who are and girls who are involved in the justice system. Um, we do a lot of work around interrupting schools to confinement pathways, um, which are the policies, practices, conditions, and the way that we think about black girls that renders them vulnerable to contact with the juvenile court or criminal legal system. And we do a body of work um, working with formerly incarcerated women to increase their capacity to expand the opportunity landscape um, for themselves. And so 
Um, we do a lot of work in this community uh, nationwide uh, with different organizations uh, to support, uh, you know, basically our people being free. Mm -hmm. So how are black girls affected by social, social justice versus social injustice? What, how do they thrive? How do they develop? Do like in between, because social injustice would mean what we've been talking about earlier, how they're seen, mm -hmm. how they're uh, viewed, how they're um, uh, seen as criminal. But social justice, how does that affect them? What what steps is in are in social justice to move young uh, to move black girls forward into uh, young women and into thriving adults? That's the question. Well, social justice is, I would say, the broader way that we can understand leading with love, right? Okay. Um, one of my favorite quotes is from Martin Luther King uh, when he said that power at its best is love implementing the demands of justice. And justice at its best is power correcting everything that stands against love. That to me is social justice. It's about elevating the use of power to implement that which will support the public display of love. Black girls, black women have long been a part of the justice narrative. Um, we, you know, the, the question is broad and I'm sure we could spend like an hour on, on just on, on the ways in which uh, black girls move forward in that space, but I do think it's important to elevate in this conversation as it relates to the film uh, the ways in which black girls have been a part of the freedom narrative and justice narrative in school for a very long time, even though we haven't really engaged them um, you know, with a degree of urgency when they experience harm in those spaces. Uh, you know, black girls have been at the center of our conversations about desegregation in schools. Black girls and black women led many of the efforts to uh, facilitate greater educational equity. Black girls have uh, participated in conversations and in restructuring, uh, you know, much of how we come to understand what is possible in our schools. And black women were some of the first teachers in those spaces to advance this work and this narrative. And so, you know, in the same way that black girls are experiencing a disproportionate harm, we also know that there's a disproportionate possibility for them to really come in and be, um, you know, forceful leaders in this space around advancing educational equity. I don't want to go talk to another young person. You know, the reason we did the film was to really try to move people toward a space where we don't have young people who describe their schools as prisons anymore. <laughs> and that when we're talking about what young people need in schools, that we are engaging our girls, just as we engage our boys in conversations about what a school needs to be for them and what safety should look like. Mm -hmm. um, so that's ultimately what this is about. It's about making sure that when we're talking about racial justice, that we are inclusive of our girls, that we understand how they are impacted by these issues, and that we cultivate the leadership that is there and invest in them, not because they might be partnering with a male or give birth to a male someday, but that we invest in them because they are worthy of our investment because of who they are. Oh, that, that, that's uh, beautifully said. For those who are just tuning in, we are speaking with Dr. Monique W. Morris. She has the new documentary out along with the companion book, Push Out. 
And we wish we had more time with you because I have more questions, but I know the time is short. <laughs> so um, we would like uh, to... Yeah, I can come back another time, perhaps, and oh, oh, yeah. continue a conversation. Absolutely. What what I want to say about your about the documentary is, I believe that everyone needs to see this. Yes. Uh, I believe that it will be a help for young women, and really, it should be more of a help for the Caucasian female teacher who mm-hmm. may have. Just got a liberal arts degree yes, and decided to get a to get a uh, teacher certificate and teach in inner city schools. Yeah. I think that you know that's my opinion. Yeah. Um, but I thank you for calling in, and we're getting ready to review your film right after we get uh, right after we finish talking with you on the phone. So uh, I would like to thank okay. I would like to thank you for uh, calling in and uh, talking and discussing on such a important topic yes. because the nation is only as strong as its women yeah. and if they browbeat our women then we're in trouble so we would like to thank you again uh, Dr. Monique W. Morris for thank calling you. in yeah. and we're getting ready to review your film okay thank you so much also I want to share with your listeners that um, we have the website pushoutfilm.com for folks to get involved in this work okay. and to recognize it's not just a film that stands on its own but there's a movement behind this work okay and then they can get in contact with you on that website give the website one more time it's pushoutfilm.com pushoutfilm.com uh, thank you and yeah, we thank will you. and we will speak again Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. You too. All right, people. So that was Dr. Monique W. Morris. She has the uh, push out book with the companion uh, DVD. And you can see that film. Uh, You can go right to the website and see the film. It also, the film also incorporates Sing a Rhythm, Dance of Blues, the Education for Liberation of Black and Brown Girls. So what I would like to say about the film first is, you know, we we talked about it here on the uh, program, but I believe that take the Samaya character, for instance. My, My mother often tells a story about when she was in elementary school. She would tell the story. And she said that the uh, something happened in the class and the teacher, uh, a male, a white male teacher had her follow him around all throughout the day. Back then, you could leave school and go home for lunch. Mm -hmm. So she left, went home from lunch, told my grandmother, her mother, what had happened. Her grandmother took her in tow and headed back. Back to the school, right. confronted the white male teacher and told her if told him, if you have my daughter follow you around the school ever again, right. I will come up here and beat your yeah. right. Laws were different then. Yeah. Laws have changed and they make it for the criminal, right? But my grandmother didn't play yeah. as my mother's mother, right. right? And my mother did not play. If I came home and I told her that someone had done something, she was there and she took my word for it. Now, I understand that um, people try to put their children in schools that they feel they can get the best education. But we have to remember that 
desegregation and uh, integration did not change the hearts of people. Right. Right. And nowadays, people are not ashamed of Martin Luther King having been assassinated, in my opinion, right? right. I'm looking at, right? right? They're not ashamed of that. So that uh, uh, pity party right. is now over and these right. people are reverting back because they're seeing right. and they're saying what we have lost. Right. So if I'm a parent right. and I knew my kid was getting straight A's right. in another school and I put her in this school thinking right. I want to get her a better education, right. I'm believing my child. Right. Because we see now all over social media that our children, they're dealing with racist teachers. Racist teachers. So we wouldn't expect that because you're sending your child to school to get an education. You expect that's what you're doing. But if if it wasn't for social media, we would not see, you know, the discrimination that they are dealing with when they're dealing with their teachers. And for this little girl to deal with what she... I mean, because she went to her parents. She went to her. You know, and told them how she was being treated by her teacher. Mm -hmm. And she felt that no one was listening to her. No one was listening. And that's why my heart really, really went out to her. Because if your parents, if your parents aren't listening to you, and then you go to school and you're being basically mentally abused by this person that's supposed to be your teacher... Where do you go? And we just saw that on a program that we were watching. Yeah. What's the name of the show? Uh, Top Boy. Top Boy. Yeah. It's, it's uh, executive produced by Drake. Yes. It happens in between Jamaica and England. Yeah. Right. And the young boy is in a prep school. Right. And unfortunately, the parents have passed on and the older brother has control of the yeah. middle brother and the smaller brother and he's mm-hmm. keeping the household together right right so he goes to parent teacher conference now right. the boy throughout the show throughout the earlier episode yeah, the younger is, brother the young the youngest brother who yeah. goes to the prep school right. he's telling his brother listen to me because he's writing sarcastic comments on, on my, my papers, papers right so he sits down now. The brother doesn't know that the older brother is listening, but he's listening to everything, everything. he's told him. So when he sat down at the with parent teacher conference. conference with the yeah. teacher, the teacher said, well, and he puts on his glasses. And if he was a, an American Caucasian, he would be a redneck because his skin was red. His right, neck was right. red. Yeah. And he was like, well, how do you think you're doing? He said, and the brother said, the younger brother said, I don't know. And he said, well, I can tell you, you're not doing well. And then the older brother says, well, that's funny because all of the other teachers are giving him high marks. Right. So that would mean that it w- it doesn't have to do with him. It has to do with you. Right. You hear what I'm saying? Yeah. So what we need to do is reinvestigate and reevaluate those yeah. uh, scores because no one likes a sarcastic person now do they you hear what i'm saying and the teacher changed you get it? his and whole the, demeanor changed and his whole demeanor changed he said well maybe we will reevaluate yeah. that's what you want right. you want to be an advocate because you cannot forget yeah. like what we talked about earlier which the film i guess because it has to stay light uh, light but be informative to right. help young children but what's left out of the film in my opinion is the, is the discussion of white supremacy and racism that these teachers like I'm, I'm I'm watching because I shoot film so I I see through the sixteen by nine so I see facial expressions and I notice that the Stephanie 
L. Patterson. She's the principal of Columbus City Prep mm -hmm. School for Girls. And she's talking to the two yeah. uh, Caucasian teachers. Who is three, Phoenix. actually. The black lady. Well, well I'm not yeah. talking about the two Caucasians. Right. That's what I'm focused on because the black lady gets it because right. of culture. That's what this whole thing, right. the Vivian... Vivian Anderson and Venus uh, Evans uh, winners. Right. They both talked about the culture and right. how you treat kids because you don't have the cultural understanding of right. it, right? So I looked at those faces and they were so in agreement, but I'm thinking you cannot change people's hearts. You cannot change where they come from. If, if they go back home to right. a a not a gated community, but right. an all-white community that's right. been regentrified, right. meaning that they didn't want black people there. Right. They right. wanted to regentrify and regentrify them out. Right. And they, they go there and live there. Then they're part of the problem. And if she happens to be replaced, right. they could say that they're using the program, right. but it would revert back because it's about the heart of the woman right. or the heart of the man. Yeah. That's right. why when I said earlier, like what I really love about this documentary is it should be a, a part of every edu educational program. Mm -hmm. Like every teacher should have to watch this mm -hmm. when they're dealing with children of a different culture mm -hmm. because it is a great educational tool. Yeah, because they have it to be... It is a great educational tool. They have to be re-educated. They do. They have to be reprogrammed. Right. Because we know what white, what racism and white supremacy is about. It's right. a fear of a black planet because right. they found out... Yeah, like what we were talking about, this whole episode is about this and it's beautiful because the next movie that comes up is right. uh, is a great movie too but what I have to say about this film is it should be in the curriculum it should but like when the should girl talking about how she was pulled out of class and they allude to the fact that these are white teachers that are strip searching right. that are uh, messing with the girls because of their hair messing right. with them because they, they feel that they're insubordinate because right. they choose to have a voice. Right. And so they have to be reprogrammed right. from their defective programming that, that they can't see people as human. I have many stories. I don't believe, I don't, right. uh, uh, looking and going through elementary school and all that, mm -hmm. I don't believe that there should be a white male or female teacher until black children get into uh, uh, until uh, middle school, upper middle school, right? Because fifth, sixth, seventh is and eighth are together now, I believe, and then and then, or eighth has moved up to the high school or however they have it now. But I don't believe that they should see white teachers until they get into the upper levels of middle school. Because the until foundation, yeah, right. Because the the nurturing that you have right. with black teachers, I know, I, I know that most of the problems that I suffered through was when I had a Caucasian teacher. Right, I talked about going to music class and they were doing uh, the Star Spangled Banner, right. and I did that, and she threw me out of class mm -hmm. for no reason, and then another student left out of solidarity he was thinking he was mm -hmm. conscious right but that's another story for another time mm -hmm. but the main point is i don't believe that the 
Caucasian teacher who, in my opinion, played around in college and then just got some kind of uh, easy degree and then got a, um, a teaching certificate to teach schools. And why would you want to come to black schools to teach if you're not, you know, ready? So they should be in upper. And then after that, the kid has his self-esteem and say, there's something wrong with this teacher. And yeah. then the parent yeah. or the guardian, like the man in the movie, uh, Top Boy, came and said, it's something with you because the other teachers say that he's right. he's he's uh, jamming out on his grades. Right. So uh, what we want to say is yeah. rush, uh, push out. Yeah. Is a ten. It should be yes. in the school systems. Yeah. It should be there. Part of the curriculum, and, and mandatory for every and teacher. I, and I have a overstanding and an understanding why right. they did not include that it is white supremacy, racism. Right. That uh, not only the black girls are contending with, but right. the black boys. Also, but you know what? Now that I think about it, we mm -hmm. spoke about teachers. Mm -hmm. Now that they're putting, you know, they are putting law enforcement in these schools, mm -hmm. in which they shouldn't. But they, the law enforcement, should have some type of education behind them too, as far as dealing with children. Mm -hmm. You know, black girls, I, I and so they need to see this documentary too. It should be mandatory. I don't think you should just take a police officer and throw them in the school and and expect them to. I mean, it's just so. I mean, it's just so many layers. I mean, I was in a cocoon until right. I went to Trinity High School. Right. But graduating from Trinity High School and seeing right. the quietness of the classes, right, right. Uh, versus what was happening in the black school, but the teachers were nurturing to you. Right. They're different. Yeah. But I remember being a, a store owner and a DJ and going right. to John F. Kennedy and seeing the police presence there and right. seeing how. It was like martial law. Right. You know, there it, 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 it was strange. The the cops were yelling at the See, kids. That's what, yeah, they're not going to be, you know, nurturing to the kids, in which they should. But black cops now. Right. The cop, right. Period. So they shouldn't have law enforcement in these schools. Right. But if they do have the, their presence in the school, they should have to go through some type of education. As, you know, like they need to see this documentary as well. It should be mandatory for them as well. If they want to put them in schools, they should go through some type of program and, and, and learn how to deal with the youth. That's it. All right, people. So now we come to the review of the night. Ed Norton's Motherless Brooklyn. Motherless Brooklyn, right? Motherless Brooklyn. Now, the cast, we have Edward Norton yes. as uh, Lino Esrog, right? Yeah. He is a person who suffers from Tourette's, right? Yes. Then we have Gugu and Betha Raw. Yes. She plays Laura Rose. Yes. Right? Yeah. Then we have Bruce Willis. He plays Frank Minna. Uh, William Defoe Paul uh, portrays Paul Randolph, right. and Alec Baldwin portrays Moses Randolph. Yes. Right? Oh, and Leslie Mann, she portrays Julia Mena. Mm-hmm. And who else? Who is it? Let's go Ethan, through the secondary uh, cast. Uh huh. Um, you mentioned Alec Baldwin. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. Let's see. Michael K. Williams. Did you mention him? No, I didn't. Um. Bobby Cannavale. 
uh, Cherry Jones, Dallas Roberts, and Fisher Stevens. Mm-hmm. Um, Robert Wisdom is also in the film. Great cast. Yes, it is a great, great cast. cast. So, the, the movie opens up. It, 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 it's First of all, let me say that the cinematography on it is beautiful. The beautiful. the through line on it is yeah. beautiful. So the film opens up and it establishes a neighborhood in Brooklyn. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It is a neighborhood that is being regentrified. Now most great films right. that have that are entertaining also have a social message. Right. And this film right here, written by uh Edward Norton. Uh, directed by, by uh, and, and also acted in yeah. as the main character. Yes. Uh, he tells this story to you, and it is a piece that has to do with. It, it's a message that has to do with what's happening today. Yeah. It's coming from the past, right? So. Lionel, played by uh, Edward Norton, suffers from Tourette syndrome. Yes, he is an unlikely private dick who is out to solve the murder of his mentor, Frank Mena, portrayed by Bruce Willis. Along with Lionel's uh, uh, additional friends, Mm. right? The movie takes place, and why? You've seen this in the trailer, so this is not a spoiler. But we are going to give you some spoilers here. Um, he, uh, Mena relies on Lino because he has a memory. You Great. can tell him something yeah. and he will be able to spit it right back to yeah. you. So he relies on him. He is actually the leader of the crew, actually. Yeah. But the rest of the people don't necessarily believe that. But that's in the storyline. That's the minutia. Yeah. The movie opens in Brooklyn and it and it pulls down and you see about seven or eight black kids playing with a makeshift ball. It looks like a football and they're playing in the street. Yeah. And Mena is meeting with some men, right. right? About something that he is investigating for them. Right. And it goes sour and it goes through uh, traveling from Brooklyn to Queens. And yeah. that's when the story opens up and yeah. it really begins, right? What I like about this film is the characters, all the characters. This is a multicultural film. It's not a diverse film. It is a multicultural film where... And it mirrors the country. And it mirrors the country. And the black characters are fully drawn. Yeah. Right? They are not... They have dignity within the areas that they are. Like, all the characters have dignity. No stereotypes. There's no stereotypes. There's no buffoonery. There's none of that. This is a well-written film. Well-acted. Well-acted. And it has to do, again, with interracial relationships and race. And it also has to do with how... I believe that Ed Norton is trying to put across. So this is how I got from the film. Got from the film. Mm-hmm. Calling a person that is in power a racist yeah. may be good for. 
the movement that you are doing, but that person is neither affected or phased mm -hmm. by you calling them racist right. or clowning them or anything. Because this happens in this film to the Alec, yeah. to Alec Baldwin's character Moses Randolph, right? But Moses Randolph, in a dialogue piece, right. along with Lionel, right. uh, talks about the mentality of a right. person who has power. Yes, that was right? a great, great uh, conversation between him right. and him. And the person who has power, right. they are going to move anything and everything out the way that yes. they feel are not that is not on their level. Right. Right? right. So calling them yeah. racist, that doesn't affect them none right. because what they feel they're doing right. is doing something to preserve and leave a legacy right. for the future. Yeah. And this is where yeah. he is bringing forth this conversation about what's going on with this election. Mm -hmm. The Baldwin character yeah. of Moses Randolph is so much like. Yeah. 45 Donald yes, Trump and you is. have to go see this film yeah, because Edward Norton is yeah. giving some some secrets yeah. on how what you would call the white supremacist right how how the white supremacist thinks right because he thinks as a man of power or right. a woman of power and what they feel they're doing is neither racist but it's right. just moving people around right. like chess pieces like pawns moving right. them out the way right. and getting them off the board yes. to to preserve the future this, and to leave legacy through this, building something. Yeah, this film has so many different like twists and turns it's well written. Um, the music is beautifully placed throughout the film. It is. Um, superb. Like, well written. I mean, it is just... I would go see this movie again. Yeah. I definitely will go see it again. It's worth it. This is just like... just This movie, I can tell it's going to be a classic. Yeah, it's a classic. Well written. The dialogue. Like you said, the conversation with Lionel... And um, and uh, Moses Randolph and Moses Randolph was was powerful, right? You know, as well as the different conversations, the conversations, you know, with just amazing film. You definitely have to go but, and but, see it. You have to go and see. But it. it's a detective uh, unraveling the yeah. mystery. It, it, it's a it's a private detective story. I love those stories, except yeah. for he makes it highbrow. Yeah, he includes uh, POV. Yes, this excellent, and he and, uh, provides POV of written documents. Right. He makes it a thinking man's because you know most detective stories are thinking man stories, yeah. but they don't add in the the documents and right. text to move along to tell this story. Right. And we're, and we're leaving the best part of the story out and we're not going to tell it. Because you, you have, have to see, see this movie. The jazz in this film oh. is amazing. Oh, oh, let's see. Music by uh, Daniel uh, Pemberton, 10. Yes. Cinematography, Dick Pope, 10. Editor, Joe Klutz, 10. Yes. Costume design, Amy Roof, 10. Yes. Production design, uh, Beth Mickle. 10. Yes. Script, 
uh, Edward Norton, 10. Acting, various actors, 10. Yeah. Uh, through line of the yeah. story, yeah. what the story is about, yeah. and the twist in the story. Oh my God. You will not see this twist in multiple storylines. Multiple storylines, 10. In which they all jail well together. Story beats. Yes. Deals with uh, gentrification also. That's right. That's right. And it deals with what's happening yes. today. And it's what happened yesterday happens yep. today. There's nothing new. And the thought process of the person in power, yes. you have to go see this and you will understand and yes. get some clues on how to yes. discuss what Trump is doing. Yes. None of that phases him because a person in power will believe that they can do everything that Trump said that said that he did in yeah. the past and what he said he's doing now. Yeah. A person of power believes that. You know what I just realized and for those who um, watched Boardwalk which was a great film um, a great show on HBO right Bobby Cannavale who played Tony as well as Michael K. Williams who played the trumpet man are both from Boardwalk. That's right. So and it was nice when we saw Michael K. Williams on the screen we didn't even know he was going to be in the film. So that was a nice surprise. Mm -hmm. And his character is major in this film. His character is major. Major. Right? And, and there is no... The, the, it's dealing with white and black. Yes. Much like the film that we reviewed earlier. Yeah, Doubting Thomas. Right. But there is no white savior in this film. Right. Matter of fact... Well, I can't say that. You have to see you that film. See you film. have to see this film. It is action-packed yeah. from the first opening. And Brooklyn as the backdrop. Is just Brooklyn, beautiful. that's right. And, and, yeah. and, and, and showing you the regentrification and people yeah. still living in their homes and how yeah. the people cheated them from out their homes. All of it's there, of people. There. And, yeah. and it's a it's a history from the past that's right. relevant to the present. Right. And that's what good cinema does. Right. It is a metaphor. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So we want to say that. So this has been a robust show of yeah. the film review, right? Yes. A, robu a robust show of the film review. We would like to thank all of our guest call-ins today. Yes. We'd like to thank Dr. Monique W. Morris. Yes. We'd like to thank Will McFadden. Yes. And make sure that you see the films that we have yes. uh, highlighted yes. tonight. Yeah. Motherless Brooklyn, yes. Push Out, and yeah. Doubting Thomas, yes. right? And make sure that you get aligned in and know what's going on with Comcast yeah. and trying to take black people's rights away. Right. 1866 Civil yeah. Rights Act. Which really affects everyone. That's right. Section 18 yeah. and 1981, right? right? What people don't realize is if you don't fight for black people's civil rights... Right. That's what everything else is based on. Right. We're the ones who get out there and fight for everybody right. else, you know, thinking that everything was right. For all but, minorities <clears throat> and for the uh, usually we do. But you know, there's a book uh, by Martin Luther King all of the that did um, uh, Cornell, Yvette yeah. Cornell, reviewed on one of her shows right. uh, off of Breaking Brown, right. where Martin Luther King lays all this out about who should be and we shouldn't move until we have true allies. It's already right. written. Martin Luther King knew that. That was his last book right. before he was assassinated and he wrote that in the book and people who just believe in I have a dream and love. Right. Love brings about the destruction. Some people think 
those who are in fear of a black planet, that they won't be there the anymore. The book is called Where Do We Go From Here? Where Do We Go From Here? Chaos Pick, or Community. Chaos or Community. Pick that book up and read it if you are truly a Martin Luther King enthusiast or, per, or a person from the Martin Luther King cloth. You should know what Martin Luther King was saying. He had already dissected all of what we're going through right now before it happened. All right, people. So we have just a little bit left, but we want to say this has been another robust episode great of the Film show. Review. Movies, music, culture, politics, and society. We are the husband and wife team. I'm Crazy D. Tracy. And I am the voice of the filmmaker, and yes. my wife is the voice of the critic. And again, this has been the Film Review. Movies, music, culture, politics, and society. And we will see you next time on the Film, film, the film review. The film, film review. The film review. Movies, music, culture, politics, society, podcast, interviews, movie reviews, and more. Live Sundays at 5:30 p.m. on Facebook at Crazon Dion. Hey everybody, this is Lunell, the original bad girl of comedy. I'm here at the Link Promenade in beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada, and you're watching the film review.